Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is going on, everybody? Mike Curlin here from the Bases Load Podcast. And just a reminder, for those who don't know... We have teamed up with Rotoballer this year for the 2020 season, which means we're joining the Rotoballer Radio Podcast Network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy baseball players their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer's 2020 draft kit is live, and all Bases Loaded listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's draft kit by using discount code BASESLOADED. Rotoballer is home to number one fantasy pros accuracy ranker Nick Mariano. Nick's 2020 rankings and projections are available as part of Rotoballer's draft kit along with printable cheat sheets, draft sleepers and busts, and more than 300 2020 player outlooks and tons of in-season tools. All of this from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with discount code BASESLOADED. Just go to rotoballer.com slash BASESLOADED and get your draft kit today. Hello and welcome in everybody to episode 121 of the Bases Loaded Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. As always, I'm joined by one of my co-hosts and Chris Clegg. You follow him on Twitter at Roto Clegg. But enough about us. We brought in a very special guest. We have Eno Saris of The Athletic, co-host of Rates and Barrels. And let's be honest, he's lover of all things beer and sandwiches and now dogs, which yeah. we saw beautiful dogs, fun little puppies. I'm sure you're having a blast. You mentioned a little bit that they've been keeping you up. But other than that, you know, thank you for joining us. And how's everything going? It's going good. It's it's Friday. Uh, there's a bunch of really fun games on the slate. Padres, Astros, Reds, Cardinals. I think it's going to be a good weekend. Too bad we don't get Mets, Yankees. But uh, there's plenty of other good baseball in the sea. Oh, for sure. Baseball is good, period, when we have it, period. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. the thing. Because, <laughs> I mean, going without for so long. And honestly, I mean... It's it's almost like a new normal we're adjusting to, but that's a whole other discussion. We're not here to we're here to be well, happy, be positive. <laughs> I, yeah, we are. But I will say that fantasy baseball has been really difficult this year. Oh, that's that's actually part of this uh, we're talking about today. We're talking <laughs> yeah. about a little bit of strategy, a little bit of how you've adjusted. And my thing is, it's not even just fantasy baseball, but analysis. Yeah, because this whole season, 60 games, I've been it's everyone keeps saying small sample size. It is. But 60 games as well, like 60 games as a whole is a small sample. We've right. seen what, Bellinger first half MVP second half be like better, just you know a little better than the average and stuff like that. So we're not sure we're, we're riding peaks and valleys. And this is a year just to ride the hot hand. That's pretty yeah. much what I'm. That's where I'm at. But 
Chris. Oh, hey, buddy. You're here. I'll let you say hi. <laughs> What's up, Mike? And yeah, I'm glad to be on, man. It's a special honor to be here with Eno today. So thank you for joining us. Yeah. And um, I always remind people, Chris has that, you know, that little Southern to his voice. He brings that little mellow, cool, calm we need because I'm full. I'm like, I'm high energy. Chris is that cool, you know, lower energy guy, roll laid back. And then Eno's right in the middle. It's a perfect mix today. I, I, <laughs> I grew up in Atlanta, so uh, I'm, I'm somewhere in between. That's right. Did yeah. 10 years in New York. There you go. There you go. Nice. So yeah, I'm about who's, your team? who's your team, you know, I, I don't have one, man. I, I, uh, I, I so. my first team was the Braves because, uh, I grew up there from 80. I, I came, I, I'm an immigrant. I came in 86. Um, and I came to Atlanta and I lived there until about 94. I was going to uh, high school up in Boston and still living in Atlanta. So basically 86 to 97, uh, like called Atlanta home. So that was a good time to be watching the Braves. Um, <laughs> and but at the same time, uh, by that by the time I went up to high school in '94, like uh, the Braves had won, and people were calling them the Buffalo Bills and all that stuff, and um, that was annoying. And and the Red Sox had never won, you know. So I was like, <laughs> "Oh, this is kind of cool. I'm I'm gonna watch some Red Sox games and kind of root for the Red Sox." And then they won, and I went out to school in California, and my dad had been living in California for a while, and I was like. Oh, these giants. I like Barry Bonds. This guy's a pretty good player. And uh, so I was there until like 2002. And I was like, you know, I got to see them in the World Series. And then I moved to New York and I was like, well, screw the Yankees. Uh, I'm going to be a Mets fan. I don't know why I chose the Mets for some reason. <laughs> Whoops. But, but I mean, they made it to the World Series. I was there too. So I, I was a bit of a lucky charm for some of those teams. But I just generally, I didn't have enough money to like buy the TV packages. They didn't really exist. So a lot of when I moved, I moved a lot. And every time I moved, I was just basically like, you know, what's on TV? You know, who's who's playing? So, so who, uh, who are you watching a lot of these days then? Just every uh, Well, now now I have the package. <laughs> yeah. I was say, Never mind. Wait a minute. The availability. You're watching everything. And I've come to realize, like, although I am a Marlins fan, it's like my like, I don't let my fandom get in the way of my analysis. I've taken that part yeah. out of it. But I've learned to just enjoy baseball for what it is. Like the Padres are so much fun to watch. Yeah. And I'm a lot of them. And it's just, it's fantastic. And I'm learning to enjoy, the, like, I used to not, like, I think it's almost like normal when you grow up playing baseball, you learn to just enjoy the hitting side of things. But as I've gotten older, maybe it's like part of maturing as an adult, which I'll never be an adult. I'm always going to be a kid at heart. But pitching, I've actually learned to really enjoy watching pitching because if there's a transition there, of like respecting that side of the ball, respecting that side I of guess, the game. But I, I started in Atlanta, so man, like, uh, pitch, I was always about pitching. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I got to see what was so cool about being there during that time is seeing like guys who ended up being like icons of pitching, right? You know, like, and, and not just icons of pitching, like, oh, they were all power pitchers and they're Hall of Famers. Like, they were different. Like, mm -hmm. Maddox was like, <laughs> you know, placing the ball, tons of bend. Uh, Smoltz was just like, you know, power. Smoltz was like, I think, like the modern pitcher, you know? Real, I, I bet you had a high spin rate. Just, you know, like real nice velocity pitch at the top of the zone, you know, pitched off that with the, with the slider and then developed a splitter. So like, you know, I, I thought I always like Smoltz the best uh, <laughs> because I thought in the postseason you wanted Smoltz because he was going to throw harder and he was going to strike guys out in the postseason. You didn't want Glavin because Glavin depended on the umpire the most, you know, Glavin was like yeah. outside further outside, even further outside, <laughs> you know, so you kind of needed the umpire to go along with him. So anyway, um, yeah, I've kind of come at it from a pitching angle. I think mostly because of Atlanta. 
And do you think that's kind of transitioned again, watching them and being so enamored by those pitchers kind of transitioned you into being such like, I, I noticed like a lot of your analysis is on pitching and you cover pitching so well. And is that kind of maybe where it started just being enamored? I think so. I think so. I, you know, since, uh, you know, you've got to draft both sides of the team and, um, I've done a lot of research on, on hitting and, and, and tried to, um, identify un- undervalued hitters and stuff like that. So I, I don't think that I like don't appreciate hitting at all, but, um, yeah, I think that it sort of started a little bit with, uh, Smoltz, Avery, uh, Glavin <laughs> and Maddox. See, I think, I think for me, it's always been easy. A hitter hitters analysis on hitters have always been easier for me. I think pitching takes you a different, it's, it's like takes the next step at n- another level to really, truly like kind of get into it with from now, especially in today's game where there's so much to the pitcher analysis with spin rates, with command. Well, and I know you have a command plus and all that. You know, but I, think, I think it's really interesting because projections are worse for pitchers and hitters. So like uh, to some extent with hitters, you can be a little bit more like, you know, what did the production say? You know, like, you mm-hmm. know, what is it? Was he done? You know, um, that's changed a little bit in the stack cast era, but like, it's still very, like mostly true, but pitchers like projections are bad for pitchers. And, uh, and also there's also something weird, like hitters give you a little bit of information every day, right? Yeah. Pitchers give you a lot of information every five days. <laughs> so you kind of like have a long time to kind of stare at these numbers and be like, what's happening here? You know, what, what, ha- like what's going to happen in the next in five days. So, um, no, no, you're right. And I feel like in a short season, it's heightened because I think every pitcher goes goes right to like the tape, goes right to the information they have handed to them. And they turn that into, okay, well, I did this against this team. It was successful. But instead of sticking with this, this team seems susceptible to this. I'm going to change my approach for this game. So the data is kind of, I feel like the data is even more noisier than usual in a shortened season. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. I'm saying maybe, maybe not. I know some players are sticking to their new pitch mixes and all that, but I feel like there could be a chance for that no, that noisy data to, to be here in a shortened season. Yeah. But yeah. before we dive into that, because we're going to talk a little bit about this and just how your analysis might change, be changing in season. How did you even get started into all this? Um, I, I wrote for a site called Fantasy Lounge Sports, which uh, was really a poorly named site. It sounds a little bit like a like a strip club. um but uh and i think there actually was a strip club called the fantasy lounge oh man fantastic we we had uh, like an seo battle with um but uh uh, i wrote a piece bus must must have been a popular one yeah yeah, right i wrote a piece for uh them about kevin moss and age at level and um wrote about basically like what could we have seen kevin moss bust coming you know like what what about kevin moss um should we have seen coming because kevin moss was this guy who like came in and hit like 25 homers um in his rookie season and there were like these women taking their tops off every time he hit a homer in, in yankee stadium and like it was like this whole phenomenon and then he just like fell apart after that <laughs> um and part of that was just that he was o- he was old you know he kind of came into the league at 27 or 26 or something and just was at his peak and had his best year and then and then just fizzled. And so I use that to say that Matt Laporta, um, the, he was a guy who was traded to the Indians a while back, that he probably wasn't going to be any good. Um, and I named a couple other guys that were younger or didn't have good, as good stats as Laporta but would be better. Um, and, it, it, you know, it turned out to be good calls. Um, you know, there's boobs in the story. Um, you know, the, you know, like there was, it was like, uh, it was like, I, I kind of wrote it, um, 
it had you know i think it was like a decent decent piece and then that that got me a, a fantasy sports writers association uh piece of the year award nice. um and that just got me on on some radars uh, i got um you know like uh, i got a little gig at at, at fangraphs writing uh for rotographs and i got a little gig at this place called fanball and then that turned into amazing avenue um on sbn so i was writing about the mets um and basically uh, you know you were talking about the hustle before we got on like i just said yes to everything at first and i just you know my wife was pretty annoyed and i got a lot of support from her because we would sit on the couch watching tv together and i'd just be like keyboard yeah. warrior you know just come home from work and just write 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 um and she she really uh she was really you know really rock you know she was my rock at the time and so um i did all that and then at some point um got hired to bloomberg sports and um they were paying like 50 bucks a blog post so i was like whoa <laughs> like i'm the start blog posting big time dude I'm, I'm into this 50 bucks a post um, and I just thought that might, you know, that with some other gigs. And then I was going to do some editing for MLB.com. I was going to put it all together and just like try to make it work. And then I just got the call from David Appleman at Fangraphs to, to be the full-time editor at Rotographs. And that's, that changed my life. So that's awesome. Um, man. I remember yeah, that's, listening, that's actually like, I just got into the fantasy, like just listening. I was more or less like the service stuff, like CBS and stuff for a long time. And then the first time I ever heard of you was when you were on the podcast over there on super on the bus with, you know, with, you know, obviously you are, you know, with Paul. Sure, and, yeah. And that was my introduction to you. And ever since then, it's been like, like you guys were the guys that kind of made me want to dive more into all this because you guys just always brought those stats. I'm like, what are these things? What are these numbers? This is like French to me. And it, <laughs> it, it, it drove me to want to learn more, but you did it in a very approachable way. You did it in a way that didn't seem so daunting because you would take it and kind of regurgitate it for both the smarter crowd or the more analytically driven crowd, I should say, and for the more common fan. And that's why I've always kind of tried to take that my approach, my analysis. And I, I thank you for guys. I think guys like you and Paul and others for kind of setting that precedence and allowing for people like me to kind of take that style and run with it. Cause that's been my big, my big thing is trying to make it in a way that people can understand it no matter what level of understanding you have towards those numbers. Yeah. My old career was uh, in educational publishing. So I uh, used <laughs> to, <laughs> well, I used to write workbooks for like three-year-olds. So I'm actually now writing for a slightly higher level of mental acuity. <laughs> debatable if you ask for wives if you ask for wives that's very debatable my sentences are longer than three words now so yeah but, but uh, no i just thought um uh i just thought that that was good practice for trying to uh make things understandable and mm -hmm. uh, that's what you know i had a friend who once told me like you know we're not smart enough to be the smartest people in the room mm -hmm. um but we can translate for them yeah <laughs> no, that's, that's really and honestly i still have so much to learn and i plan on you know it, it is this is this is what's awesome about this industry and this sport there's always more to learn especially in the, the day and age of analytics yeah. and you and you've been around since before analytics were really accepted or even put into the game for the I mean, most i think part. i was at just the, the sort of beginning of it uh, i mean i was reading fan graphs and baseball perspectives so there were guys doing it there um but one thing that was a little bit different back then, you know, when I was starting out writing in sort of 2008 ish um, was that um, the people who were writing and researching were doing it for regular baseball, you know, for, for just mm -hmm. being baseball fans. And there were, there weren't a ton of people taking that research 
um, and uh, making it fantasy applicable. So that's, I mean, that's what, what I've always done. And I think it's still what I do. Like I do some research, but my research is not as good as the top level guys like a BP and Fangraphs and other places, baseball HQ. A lot of the people who do the original research, like some of that stuff is, is amazing. Alex Chamberlain, yeah, uh, Jonathan judge, you know, a lot of these stuff that they do is amazing. Um, but, um, uh, uh, which if you read their stuff, a lot, a lot of times what they do is they do a bunch of research and they say, well, there's nothing here. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of, I kind of skip that step and take what they have, uh, when they do find something, um, really impressive, sometimes t- go to the players and ask them about it or go to coaches and ask them about it. Uh, try to expound on that, maybe, uh, do a little bit of light research on top of it. So, um, you know, I think one of the ways that people can kind of separate themselves from the pack is reading. Uh, that's the one thing that I that I did a lot of and that I think was always served me well. And I think that I hear from you um, is, you know, it's reading. You, you read, you read and over time you'll find your own voice and either your own research or your own way of sort of implementing the the, the, the analysis that's out there, the data that's out there. And that's that's the route I've went. I like you mentioned. I'm never gonna be. I I know personally. Like you got. You just have to know. You're not gonna be like. I know I'm not gonna be the smartest guy in the room. I talk to guys like Ariel Cohen and others are like you know really into the numbers, understand the analysis and the data. And my goal is to be really good at taking, like you said, taking what they found and applying it. And so far, that's been my strength. And again, it's all about assessing your strengths and weaknesses. I understand that. And it's just, but it's awesome because. There's just so much out there. I feel like, like you don't realize how much there is out there until you start diving in. And then you realize it's it really it's its own rabbit hole of just just craziness. Chris, I mean, you're relatively new to the industry. You've been hustling just as hard as anybody, man. It's been impressive. How how have you kind of adjusted to all this? And what do you think about what you know saying? Yeah, I haven't <laughs> talked much. I'm just soaking <laughs> it all in. <laughs> but good stuff. Again, like like Mike mentioned, I, I just started in this in March, so this is like all of a, a brand new world for me. Like I've been a long time fantasy player, but really just diving in on the research and doing the writing part is, is new. And so, like you mentioned, like looking up to people like you, you know, and, and others who have like done it before and do, do it so well. And it's tough. Like it's tough to find your niche, but when you do, like, I think, like you mentioned, that's when you can kind of take off and like Mike's been kind of grinding on his, his lineup stuff. And that's really gone a long way in the, in the breakdowns on Twitter, which are great. And so like, I'm still trying to, I'm, I love numbers, but I'm not going to be one of those guys. Like you mentioned that can like Cohen, who just has all these crazy numbers in his head and makes them work, but finding a way to Mm -hmm. make it like applicable, I guess. And so that's kind of what I'm working through and, and trying to get a voice and, and just, give something applicable to other fantasy players and, and readers of my work. And I just want to be able to help them in like any way that I can. And so like, it's just, it can be tough sometimes to kind of figure out your place. And so that's kind of still where I am right now, still being new in it and trying to, trying to figure out where I belong in the midst of all of this. But man, it's been, it's been a great ride. I love, yeah. love doing this, man. Yeah. It's yeah. a really great community great. too. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I mean, I, I guess like I, said, I got a chance to meet you for a brief moment. First pitch Florida was crazy. And my first time ever going to one of those events. Right before the shutdown and everything. Right, too. Well, it makes you wonder if, how many people there had it, to be honest. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way it was COVID free. Let's be honest there. There's a couple hundred people there. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> regardless of that fact, it was just it, blew my, it was just mind blowing because 
what I did, I used that experience to meet a lot of people. And since then, I've expanded on my relationships with them. But it's just like it was so awesome to meet all these people. And the best thing I, I could take say is, and I've said this about you as well, is just that you guys truly are as nice as you are, like in like as nice as you come off and as respectable you come off you know on twitter and behind the scenes you, you in, in person you guys have all been that way and it's kind of nice to see an industry full of people that have been doing this for such a long time be still that like you know what i mean like approachable and likable and and honestly just someone coming up and doing this right now just it's another again another way of just saying thank you for being that way thank you for being so approachable and thank you for being willing to help out we all, as much as you i mean are. we all started out like you're starting out we all just you know played and just wanted to win. You know, here's something that people don't really know. Um, Fangraphs was started by David Appleman so he could win his fan- fantasy league. There you go. <laughs> like, you know, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, we're, we're all just trying to win leagues, right? Um, I also just think that um, there's something about baseball that's, like, really conducive to, like, I call it, like, the sort of sit down and have a beer sport. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the... Uh, the, the cadence and the and the the pace of baseball is different than other sports. Um, you can look away, you can have a conversation, you can you can you know Intimate. you can have an argument, you know you can have like a statistical argument. I think that's the the basis of a lot of these sort of, sort of things that we do um, was you know almost began in the like sitting in the stands being like who's better you know this guy or that guy, um, and you know that's that's how it all started and since we all have that in common um you know no matter where you are who you are who you're standing with uh you can just start arguing who's better this guy or that guy i think when we when you and i were sitting there talking i think we just basically pointed at the the draft board uh, that was going on and we're like you know which team do you like and there was just (laughs) and that's the thing it's you can go into like a conversation you can go into a three-hour conversation about that because every team has its strengths and weaknesses. Players, this player, that player. Yeah. It's amazing. I love it. And you're right. Yeah. And it's just a natural. Like, and I said, and that's why I said it's like intimate because there's an intimacy to it in terms of just how much natural like conversation and just that like how quick you become comfortable with people. And it's it's amazing. It, like, that experience was mind blowing. And I'm going. I'm going to go back if they can open it back up next year. That's obviously mm. I'm hopeful for all that. But I mean, it was a great experience. But let's get back to some of this. Because I again, I know you're a busy man. And I appreciate your time. Um, as someone who's been doing this a long time, just this season's been absolutely crazy. You will probably, hopefully, never see anything like this again. How has your in-season strategy changed? Yeah, you know, I, I lean. Um, you could call it passive if you were being critical or uh, patient, uh, because I, I, you know, I think more than half of my leagues are dynasty and keeper leagues, and you just if you think that a guy has shown it and and has a skill you got to stick with them through the bad times you know like ozzy albies had a wrist injury like i was on ozzy albies like the minute i saw his minor league stats and saw him play with all that energy and i got him in all my keeper leagues and i have like five shares of him in keeper leagues and he he's powered me to titles and this and that um he's just not gonna you wouldn't ever drop him, even in a short season like this. You like if somebody was like, "Oh, what's wrong with Azzy Albies?" You'd be like, "Yeah, he's probably hurt." You know, oh, yeah. look, he's hurt. Uh, but but you do wouldn't long term. You wouldn't sell Azzy Albies right now just because of what happened this year. Um, but the problem is in a redraft league. You know, in this season, you kind of got to be more aggressive, and you kind of have to work faster, and you have to decide who's droppable quicker, and you kind of have to. Uh, just move as quick as you can, and that's that's a little bit unnatural for me. So it's been <laughs> it's been pretty difficult. But 
you know, there are there are some ways that you can kind of use the stats to to look into it. Well, and that kind of jumps right into the next part of just because I again we talked about it. I think this was off air. Is just sixty games as a whole is a small sample. Period. Right. It is. It's a small sample size. But how? Um, what type of data? if any, are you taking away right now that is kind of stickier maybe or stuff that you're looking at in players as a whole that's helping you with this with this analysis and helping you buy in or sell on said players? Yeah, and you know, actually, by the way, your your lineup stuff is really important in, in this in the short season because one of the things that's so frustrating about this season is like, A, you don't even know who's playing tonight. <laughs> no. Uh, that's been really difficult. Uh, and then B, um, just the different lineup situations that they've done with longer benches uh there have been more sort of borderline players um you know i'm thinking about like jake cronenworth before he kind of started playing every day mm-hmm. you kind of you kind of have to like look at the lineup every night and be like is is cronenworth in the lineup like a lot of platoons. playing a lot of platoons, a lot of platoons a lot of like extra guys that kind of super utility guys there's teams that have like two super utility guys you're like wow mm-hmm. that's crazy um so, uh, so that's been so lineup stuff is really important. Uh, I, I think just who's in the lineup tonight is actually an underrated question uh, that that like is really important in your in your daily lineup leagues and re, in, in redraft and not just DFS. DFS, everybody they know the like oh who's in the lineup tonight is is, is like part of the game, but uh, but also just in like in every league now who's in the lineup tonight is that's a stat that's like a thing and it's really yeah. important at bats. At bats, bats. Yeah, because we because we, we're we're all gonna we're all behind pace in all of our leagues wherever whenever it has that little like breakdown where it's like where you're projected how many at bats you're supposed to get by position we're all behind pace and we're all just trying to like chase make sure we we make those targets. Um, but the other stuff um, that becomes meaningful in small samples uh, that I look at is um, sort of pitch velocity, uh, uh, max exit velocity. Well, let me do the pitchers first. Pitch velocity. Uh, and pitch mix changes, I think, are huge. You look at someone like Pablo Lopez, uh, just has a new cutter. Uh, I didn't like. I didn't see it going in because he had like middling command and stuff numbers. Uh, he did have okay velocity, but the fastball straight. He was doing mostly the four seam last year. Now he's kind of gone over to the sinker more. Uh, he's added a cutter, and the changeup has always been good. So now he has like kind of a better mix, like a wider mix. And once you see a mix change along with some peripheral stuff, like, Oh, his strikeout rate is up. That's good. But his strikeout rate is up and he has a new pitch. That's gold. That's like, Oh, that's something different. Like Dylan Bundy, even like his, his home run rate is down. Well, that's partially because new park and and maybe just sample, but also now he's throwing sliders 35% of the time, yeah. 20% of the time. That, that, that's meaningful. Yeah. So uh, for pitchers, I'm, I'm way into velocity. Like James Paxton, we knew he was injured. You know, yeah. uh, Charlie Morton, we knew he was injured. Uh, so anybody who's like down more than a tick, a tick, like one mile per hour, they had a short spring. Maybe they could get it back. But once you're talking about two or three ticks, like, Basically, everybody who was down three ticks, and there was a list at one point, is injured. So um, that's that's something that I was looking at early. Um, strikeouts minus walks is just now becoming uh, it, something to look at. Uh, I just dealt away uh, a couple shares of Dylan Cease today uh, because he's got the fourth worst strikeout minus walk rate in baseball. <laughs> and I've got these advanced stats like Command Plus that say he's the – uh, second worst starting pitcher in baseball with command. Oof. 
and and I can look at you know pitch plots and say, whoa, he doesn't have a single uh, swing and miss on his curveball because he throws them from people's you know above people's heads to their toes. Like it's just the most <laughs> scatter shot thing you've ever seen. Uh, but in the end, you could also just say, hey, he doesn't strike out. He doesn't have a, a large enough gap between his strikeouts and walks. And that's that's something I've been doing actually since I just looked at box scores. The number one thing I would do when I looked at box scores in 2008 was look at the pitcher's strikeouts and walks. That's that's the only thing I would look at at first. I um, and I've, I've I've realized you know, and you read about all this research about how sticky that is. You know that data. Mm-hmm. That's one of those things that is quick to stick and quick to show some improvement or decline. One of the pitcher. best in-season uh, predictors of future success for pitchers is strikeouts minus walks. So, um, you know, so that that that's kind of uh, my approach on the the pitching side. On the hitting side, it's actually a little bit harder, even though they're giving you more data as they're going along, and we're and we're researching a lot of Statcast stuff. It's um, you can look at xwoba, you can look at hard hit rate. I kind of like hard hit rate because it's just so simple. How many balls over ninety five miles an hour do you hit? And it, it doesn't have this thing where like bunts can screw you up or whatever. It's like it's just looking at how often do you hit the ball 95? Like Victor Robles still has a decent hard hit rate, even though he bunts a lot, you know, like there's, but if you look at his average exit velocity, it looks terrible because he bunts a lot and bunts are like 50 miles an hour. So, uh, so I like, I like hard hit rate, uh, a stat cast hard hit rate. Um, I'll look at X Woba max exit velocity is really important for like a, a prospect. So if a prospect comes up and hits the ball like 115 miles an hour, that's huge. That just, it's almost like a, a pitcher coming up and hitting, touching a hundred. If a, if a pitcher comes up and touches a hundred, like Nate Pearson comes up and throws a hundred, you got to take notice. Yeah. Uh, that is really, really important. And if a hitter comes up and hits the ball 150 miles an hour, even if everything else is kind of a problem, uh, that's really important. So to some extent, even though Dylan Carlson is really struggling in a keeper league, I would, I, I already, I just put in like a huge offer to try and get him. I, I think uh, Carlson will be okay. Um, he's he's hit the ball hard, really hard, a couple times, and I, I think that's meaningful. So, but but at the same time, like when you look at somebody like Yelich, right? Like he could just have a bad year. I mean, like you said, 60, 60 games, he could have just have like the beginning of the of Bellinger season last year, the, the bad part, or the you know, like yeah, exactly. He could just he could just have that. He's he's striking out too much. Uh, he's hitting a lot of ground balls. It's hard to tell when he's going to get it going on to some extent, the longer you've been around, the more I just trust your track record, you know? No, I hundred percent agree. And the track record, that's why it's like my big thing this year. Like I kind of, I was on Justin Mason's uh, friends with fantasy benefits pod. And my big thing was I'm not trading Kyle Lewis for P Alonzo right now. And it was for the, I know it's, and it's a bold take, but it was for the simple fact that Kyle Lewis is showing growth. He's sh- and he's running, he's running hot and I don't have time because this goes back to just how short the season is. We don't have time to gamble on somebody coming around. Now, since Wait then, since, since I said that, Pilonzo's hit a few home runs. and yeah. <laughs> but Lewis still, is getting a little bit cooler. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's the um, it was the, it was the simple fact that uh, I just don't trust in buying low right now, just for the simple fact that I don't believe in players having enough time to adjust. And there's other red flags with Pilonzo, mostly the batting average and all that, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, always but the stri- He always had the strikeout rate. So. Yeah, the, and the strikeout rate, it started in the second half. The problem is, is it carried over, and people were kind of like, well, he's not like he hit 280, I think, 
first half last year, 235 second half. And mm-hmm. people were like, oh, people bought into the fact that he might be closer to the 280. I'm like, no, he's probably gonna be like a 250. He's yeah. hitting off 250. And that's so my big I'm big, I'm a big anti-Alonzo guy for his draft draft day cause and you know, in typical five by five because you want that. a better average, you're you're picking in the second round. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to take Pete Alonso that early at all, but that's again a whole nother discussion. But my big thing, the one thing I've been doing a lot of is looking for swing changes in this short season or something to help explain some of these hot starters. Kyle Lewis was a big swing uh swing change guy. Like he was the one that was the most noticeable coming in from last year to this year. Last year he was more crouched, had the lot of bat movement, was like leaning over the plate, and this year he's more upright, less bat movement, looks more poised at the plate. And you look at that and you pair that with a few less ground balls, still hitting too many for your yeah. life, but but at that, that's it. Yeah, I was gonna say ground ball rate. Ground ball rate is actually uh, can be useful early on. You can you can use launch angle if you like. Uh, but you know, ground ball per fly ball. That you know, just look at that, and it's on fan graphs, and it's just right there. And if you see a, if you see like a power increase, but it, it, and it's a company, it's almost like the pitch mix thing, right? Mm-hmm. If you see if you see different results and the pitch mix changed, boom. If you see different results and the ground ball rate changed, boom. That means that they're doing something different. Oh, yeah, 100%. Then it usually goes into, I actually look at your own ball, right? Then I look at launch angle. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. That pairs well. And then right. you see, are they pulling the ball more? Castellanos was pulling the ball more early on, putting the ball in the air more, and has the hit tool he has. We Like, wow, this is, he could be J.D. Martinez this year, <laughs> especially with Reds, as, especially at Grand America uh, Small Park. So it's yeah. just like stuff like that. That's where I've been looking for, like, obviously pitch mixes for pitchers. And with hitters, I've just been looking for anybody who's made a tweak in their adjustment and if it's yeah. sustainable. And I try to see if I could buy into sustainability or not. It's a, it's still a guess. We're trying to take the data the best we can in the, in the shortened season and apply it towards a shortened season and hopefully predict future success or future uh, reasoning for downfall. But again, it's like, it's just so much going on. Now let's get to some of these players that just maybe you've changed your mind on. We're going to do a little thing I like to call three up, three down. It's a new series. I'm starting with guests because it's kind of an easy, fun way to kind of talk about some players struggling or some players that may have surprised you and have done better. So We'll start on a high note. Let's go with up. Who's your first player that's your, that's kind of moved up for you? Well, I I, uh, I bold predicted Kyle Lewis into uh, rookie of the year. So there we go. Um, yeah, <laughs> I guess I'll use him. But um, I don't know. Uh, we're talking about uh, position players, uh, pitchers. It, what do you- it, whichever one. I mean, any. I was. I honestly figured you were going to go pitchers. I, I could have specified. I apologize for not. Uh, I was just kind of. I was kind of letting you kind of run with it, whichever direction you wanted to. I didn't want to just make you do pitchers because I know you. Again, I know you talk about pitchers a lot. I wanted to give you the freedom to kind of discuss any players up and down that you just noticed and reasons why. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Bundy was a huge ascender in my ranks. Corbin Burns uh, was when you know moved up really, really far. Um, I'm trying to uh, trying to think of uh, of some names here off the top of my head, but um, why don't you why don't you go first and I'll, and I'll get my ranks up and, uh, and see <laughs> see what I got. Well, one of my guys that I was up on, we kind of just discussed about was uh, Kyle Lewis. And one guy, one of my guys I'm down on is Pete Alonzo. And it's because, <laughs> you, and, well, De- you know what? I'll go with a different one. that I, I kind of talk about him a little bit much, but it's Devers. I'm, he's been swinging a better bat of late. But, you know, I've heard reports of him coming back into sh- uh, camp a little bit out of shape. So him being had some, he's battled that shape. Yeah. And last year he came in in shape. This year he came in out of shape. And for me, I'm a big plate discipline guy. I love plate discipline. And the the biggest thing I noticed from him last year was that his O swing, which is, again, for people that might not know, is for how much you swing outside the zone. It was at 40.5 in 2019, which is really, really high. 
compared, especially the average being like around 31%. But his uh-huh. O contact was also curb best at 71.9%. And my concern was is if that took at all a dip, like in any direction, like not any direction, if that took a dip negatively to meet what he, he's done prior, we're going to see the batting average be an issue. I never doubted the power. It was always, I don't think he's a 300 hitter. I just didn't. And this year, we saw the O contact kind of dip down, but it's actually it's probably worse than what it looks like because although it did dip down, his O swing went up four and a half or four percent. So his own, his own swing went up while the contact on pitches outside the zone have went down. That's led to more swing and miss. The swing strike rate's gone up in, in the process. And he's obviously, I think, a part of him is just pressing. He's probably trying too hard to get out of it. So well, when, when the, it comes the, to the O swing is also really interesting because uh, a high O swing uh, batters don't uh, don't age well. I think the name that people should remember is Josh Hamilton. Um, oh. You know, when you when you reach outside the zone, Pablo Sandoval too. If you reach outside the zone, uh, contact on pitches outside the zone ages really terribly. Oh, so man. as much as I like uh, Devers, like you know, from ages twenty three to twenty eight or so, um, and there's a lot of players who can make it work during that time. Pablo Sandoval just hit a homer on a ball that was at his nipples. So like, you know that that's you know. That there is a skill there that you can that you can take to the bank to some extent. It does. It also means that it, they won't age well. And so if you like, to me, I know Devers and, and Sandoval are different players, but like, there's a little bit of a similarity there in terms of like uh, heavier players that reach a lot. Uh, don't both of those things don't really uh, lead to aging well. So um, as well, I do like him now. Um, but, uh, if you have that worry about someone that they might not age well, that does mean that there could be some bad season mixed in too. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying he won't be good. I I don't, I think, I still don't think we've seen the power ceiling. I still think that there's still a good player there, but I just never bought into the four category floor that he was kind of being sold at. Yeah, the, and the like batting average. eight stolen bases against 16 tries that did not suggest that he was going to steal a lot of bases yeah. this year. So. Yeah, and I think he only had one or two after like the All-Star break or something crazy. Like he did most yeah. of it in the first half. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I never believed. I never expected stolen bases from him. Um, I, I, I just did a, a pitcher 10-pack. Uh, I'm going to just uh, cannibalize off that. Uh, uh, a guy who's up for me is Justice Sheffield. Um, I pointed out that, um, he's got a pitch mix changed. He, he changed from a four seam to a sinker. Um, and then with that came more command. It's, you know, a lot of people switch for the sinker for movement, but, um, I think he's been just a natural sinker guy for most of his career. Um, and once he moved to the sinker, he, he improved his command. Uh, so now he has got above average command, above average stuff. The secondaries are pretty good. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think he's going to be, like a you know like a top 30 or top 40 pitcher but i think he can be like a top 50 top 60 pitcher uh this year um and that's useful it's on a lot of wires i just did a trade where i traded uh dylan cease and cole calhoun um for uh justice sheffield and josh bell and like I don't know about Josh Bell, but I also think Cole Calhoun is just a, kind of a platoon player um, that uh, I don't trust. And I didn't trust Dylan Cease as far as I could throw him. So I, I was like, here, let me get this Justice Sheffield. Um, and then a guy I'm down on, um, I guess I'm a little bit worried about Ross Stripling. Um, he's, got a new, <laughs> he, he's got a new release point um, and the slider is uh, has totally different movement and he stopped using it as much. 
And the thing that Stripling is, since he's a 90 mile an hour guy, if you if you see a guy with 90 miles an hour, the second question should be how many pitches does he have? Because you cannot survive like 90 miles an hour in two pitches. Uh, that's part of why Joey Lucchese is not a starting pitcher anymore. Um, you know, but Ross Stripling had the Hunjin Ryu plan going, right? Which is I have command of four pitches and that's how I'm going to make it work. Well, now he has command of three pitches. You know, it's not quite the same thing. Um, and so I'm really looking for him either just to start throwing the slider more or to change the release point or something. And if he doesn't do that, I really like Tony Gonsolin. Um, and uh, Alex Wood is getting healthy, and I just think Stripling might go right back to the bullpen. When you say Alex Wood getting healthy, I always <laughs> like uh, temporarily. <laughs> like, like, is that a joke or are you serious? I mean, he's, he's getting healthier. Uh, yeah. he, might, he might come back for a few starts and then go back on the DL. <laughs> unfortunately, we hate the you know we hate to make it's not a laughing matter. Unfortunately, but right. unfortunately, it kind of is. We get it. But Justin Sheffield's a guy I was really in on. Dropped him really quick in my main event because <laughs> uh-huh. I, I didn't want to. I've been again. I've been kind of over. He was borderline going, and he's the kind of guy that you, if you move quickly on, you you you're like whatever. I I had to move quickly, but uh, there's something there. I think. Yeah, I was in on him again in the preseason. Then that one, all it took was one start for me. Like, nah, I'm moving on because I wanted to try to move off, you know, the waiver wire. And then I realized because in the main event, short bet, not really like not necessarily short benches, but no, no IL spots, stuff like that. You got, you got to kind of turn and burn those final spots. I didn't want to get yeah. attached to him, but man, do I kind of, I, I wish I kind of held on to him because I need pitching bad in my main. But uh, another guy I'm down on, and I wanted to get your uh, take on this is I'm kind of, I'm not sure about my long term feels about him, but. Vlad, Vladdy, man, he's concerning. The guy can hit the ball. There's no question, but he puts a ton on the ground. Like was last I looked, it was sixty percent. And last time I saw him, he's not beating out pitches. So like on the ground, and he can hit. He, you mentioned how hard he hits the ball. It's fantastic, <laughs> but it's not fantastic when you're hitting the ball directly into the ground. And I comped him recently, almost tongue in cheek. But the more I think about it, the more I talk about it, the more I say out loud, I'm buying into it. He's reminding me of a Prince Fielder who hits the ball on the ground instead of in the air. That's- uh yeah or yandy yandy diaz without the biceps yeah um <laughs> and probably half i mean the speed. yeah yandy diaz um also uh is pretty good at the plate in terms of plate discipline and making contact so uh there's a lot of yandy diaz in here right now um the hope i think is that over time he'll be able to raise the ball a little bit more and, and yandy did have a, a year where he did you know he he uh raised the ball he did lift it a, bit, a little bit better but in terms of this year, I don't know how much longer people want to wait around because uh, usually a, a new increase in fly ball rate has to do with like a swing change in the off season. Uh, it has to do with a lot of like effort and it's not something that you can usually do in the middle of a season. So yeah, I don't think that necessarily, um, you know, Guerrero is going to have like even league average power going forward uh, because of this problem. And then on top of it, you know, sometimes hitting the ball hard steals power from you. He's had a couple hits in the last couple of games where he's hit the ball so hard to the outfield that he only gets the first, <laughs> like it just like got to the outfielder right away. The outfielder got it back in and you like, Oh, that's a double. Oh, I guess not. <laughs> um, it's not a double for him. Right. So yeah, between the speed and the, and how hard he hits the ball. So I, I think long-term, I think he's a good acquisition in dynasty and keeper leagues yeah. because there's still this, you know, uh, good plate discipline, good contact hits the ball hard you know, young enough to, to make the change. Uh, but in redraft leagues, no, I, I, I don't know that I'm uh, necessarily running out to get him. Yeah. I got you. And Chris, I know again, it's been a little bit since you talked, buddy, we'll get you in here. I know there's at least, at least one guy that you're in on one guy you're out on. Yeah. So 
Jesse Winker is really moved up on my radar. I mean, he we know he's on riding a hot streak right now, but dude, he is just killing the ball right now. I mean, all of his baseball savant page is just really red, other man. than strikeout rate. But man, 350 average right now, uh, 487 OBP, 700 slug. Dude, he's just killing the ball. And I think it's legit. Like his exit velocity is up over five miles an hour. I know that really hasn't stabilized yet, but all the numbers just, I mean, they really kind of back what he's doing. I mean, his walk rate's way up, strikeout rate. Strikeout rate is up, but, I mean, it's definitely encouraging that he's he's walking more. And so, I don't know. Am, am I right to be buying into Winker long-term? Like, I was in on him last year, but then he kind of bust. And he's barreling the he heck finally out of the ball out? right now. I think that's kind of like what I think a lot of it's being driven by the quality yeah. contact as well. But there is, again, I looked at him. He didn't really have much of a swing change from what I saw. He did almost almost have like a Rizzo-esque, like he leaned back when he held the, had the bat. Like that was kind of, I think, a newer little thing he added. I can't really tell from last year's tape. I've been trying to watch a lot of tape on these hitters because trying to find ways to buy in beyond the stat cast. And like I said, I kind of added this little lean to it. Maybe he's just, but he's seeing the ball well. I'm personally buying in on it because we this was what we were hoping he'd grow into. And yeah, he had a down year, but then he turned around and have, he's having the year we expected him. Now, obviously, is he this good? No, he's not going to hit 350. But the power is legit. He could be, I'd say, I'd say, I mean, he's he's had XBAs 278 or better the last three years. So obviously, a 275 hitter is not out of the question. And a guy who could return a lot on his investment at this point, and he already has, but he's a guy that I totally can see sticking as long as he just keeps playing every day he wasn't playing against lefties initially now he's playing every day which is great to see he's hitting the middle of the lineup as well which is stuck so as long as he keeps producing I, i'm buying into him this year and going forward i'm just afraid to see how inflated it might be because again he's kind of like my point is, i guess he's kind of showing like all the people who never lost faith hey i'm still here i'm still this guy and now how much that can drive up his price next year that's to be determined but you know what is your take on winker yeah, I'm all in. Uh, I really <laughs> liked him uh, early on because uh, I saw a guy who had good contact skills and developing power. Um, and I was just hoping they'd play him every day eventually. Uh, it's really also instructive here to look at the fact that it looks like he's having one of the worst ground ball rates of his career. But if you actually look at the stat cast stuff, uh, he's improved his launch angle over last year. He's improved his barrel rate. So when he hits the ball hard, he hits the ball in the air. So um, I, I think that uh, I'm, I'm not buying the 350 batting average or anything, but I'm buying most of, uh, of his improvements. And I, I really like him. I think it's a great name to bring up. I, I was definitely uh, somebody I was looking at just now. And his pull rate, the the he, it's actually 10% higher than it's pretty much ever been, which can help generate that power that we're seeing. Because if he's obviously hitting more ground balls, it might be because he's topping the ball more, which no, he's not actually. I'm surprised. Um, never mind. There goes that idea. But uh, I no, just figured, he's, hit, he's hitting the ball harder than he ever has, and he's yeah. pulling it. That means he's pulling in the air and pulling in the yeah, air. Exactly. Gold. Especially in that park. Yeah. <laughs> Period. I mean, any park with his power, but yeah. that park, you can get away with a few cheapies. But, um, other, yeah. and who's someone you're down on, Chris? Yeah, it's got to be Andrew Benintendi. And I know he's probably played hurt most of this year. I mean, we know. He's on the IL now, but he's just been trending the wrong direction for just a couple of years now. And this year just kind of solidifies it. Like definitely out in like dynasty leagues. Like if you own him, like what can you do? You can't really sell this low on him. So you're kind of stuck with him. But I, I just don't want to have any Andrew Benintendi on my team right now. The, the good thing, his value may be so low next year. 
he's probably going to give you a good return on investment because I'm imagining his ADP will be pretty low. But again, the name value could could keep him up. But dude, just everything looking at it is just trending in the wrong direction for him and not looking good for the the long term for for Benintendi, who was a guy that yeah. I thought would be a perennial like 2020 guy with with solid batting average. So. And the sprint speed has just really fallen off. Sprint speed doesn't age that well anyway, but like his in particular, he just, I don't know what it is. He's just really, his athleticism has really fallen off. And then beginning of this year, yeah, maybe he was hurt, but uh, in terms of what was happening at the plate, it just looked lost. I mean, he was swinging at stuff way outside the zone and not swinging at stuff right down the pipe. And it just, it was that he had these weird things where he had like a 18% walk rate and like a 25% strikeout rate. And you're like, this is not you, man. Like, just like get aggressive and start, you know, swinging at stuff, you know, that's anywhere close and, and you'll get that natural hit tool going again. But uh, yeah, he just, he looked lost and heard and, and it's, it's way too much of a, a fitting into the rest of the trend, I think to, to, to kind of just say, Oh, it's just bad luck or whatever it's aggravating because he's only 26. Like I had to look up his age. <laughs> he's only 26. He just turned 26. He'll have another good season. Yeah. I, I think you, you could be right too. That like next year, it just depends on how far he falls. Cause Boston has a little bit of that New York vibe where people think, yeah. you know, their best players are really good. Uh, he's got the name value people. Some people might think he'll still steal bases. I, if I bought him next year, I'd buy him as like a 280 hitter that might hit 20, 20 homers, you know? Yeah. And and hope that I got him real low and just he was like my fifth outfielder or fourth outfielder or something. And and I didn't spend much on him. If he falls around that Verdugo price of like 200 where Verdugo was going initially, I got 200 the overall pick. That would make sense because that is pretty much what you just described is Verdugo and their teammates. So I right. mean, and, and he offers maybe that 10 steal, 15 steal like ceiling. So that, that, that will be appealing to people in, in leagues. But we'll see because. Hey, with him, it's been a lot of tinkering with his uh, batting stance. He changed it midseason 2019. He changed it again coming into this year, I think. And he's just, he hasn't been, like you mentioned, that comfort, that level of comfort's not there. When you see somebody tinkering that much, you know they're obviously not feeling whatever's going on in, in their mechanics or whatever. And you can speak to that more than most of us because you get a chance to talk to all these players. And there's a mental aspect of this game that we, a lot of us as fantasy analysts, don't see or get to talk to players about, we don't hear about. But I'm sure you've experienced or talked to players about it, right? That, that, that there's this mental aspect that we just don't, ever hear a lot about yeah i have a a piece i wrote with brandon moss where you can really see how players think i recommend checking it out if you if you want to know like how what a struggle looks like because i talked to brandon moss in one of his last years in oakland and um he had a hole that everyone knew about and he was like up up and away like everybody knows it's my hole and I'm, you know, I'm trying to spin on it. I've tried to, I've tried to get my bat to it. I've tried to move closer to the, to the plate. I've done this, I've done that. Um, and it's just killing me. And he's just like really, really honest about like his thought process and what he's going through. And then the whole time Adam Dunn is in the background, just clowning on him. (laughs) (laughs) So it was my favorite interview of all time, but, uh, um, you know, I think it is difficult. I think that's that's part of the reason why a player in season uh, might be someone like Ben Attendee. In season, you might be like, oh, I'm just going to wash my hands of this uh, because it's just a, such a mess and it's just going to be a downward spiral. Whereas maybe next season you change it. You, you're like, you have to remember not to not to kill anyone off. 
everybody has a price, right? Yeah. Like if you if you hate Benintendi this year, that's fine. But next year, don't just be like, I'm never drafting Benintendi again. He totally tanked my team. No, you got to come back at it again. And be like, what if he spent the whole the off season at driveline or some other place and he revamped his swing and he's feeling really good and he lost ten pounds or he gained ten pounds, whatever it is, and he just like you know cleared the air and came to spring and started raking. He might have a really good season again. So. I, I try to remember that when uh, a player burns me, it's like, you know, every new season is a new season. Let's just let's let's forgive everybody their sins against our fantasy teams in the past. <laughs> so hard. <laughs> if there's something we done. like about it, if we something we like about this player, uh, we can get back on the horse. I got gotcha. you. So before we get out of here, because I don't know if you saw, I'm gonna just be straight up honest. My power flickered because there's a storm here and <laughs> oh yeah and i get out of here before we lose the whole thing yes, well i don't know how it didn't just shut off but i'm not going <laughs> to argue with the results before we get out of here you know first of all thank you so much for your time but we got to talk about beer and sandwiches you do like we see them all over twitter you talk about it right now do you have a go-to beer or do you have like an all-time favorite beer that you just always stick to no matter what and of course the sandwich questions same thing what's your go-to sandwich uh, the go-to sandwich is easy. It's the BLT. Uh, I, I like to put in uh, avocado. Um, I just like that because it adds a little bit more moisture to what can sometimes be dry. Uh, but with that, you have crisp, you have salty, um, you know, almost everything I like. I, I do like to put sweet in my sandwiches. So um, when I start getting weird, uh, <laughs> there'll be something sweet in there. Uh, What's but, weird? Um, what, what would be something weird, like honey or something like Oh, yeah. One of my favorite things to do is a honey uh, sriracha uh, mayo. Ooh. So just throw throw all those things together, mix them together, and you get sweet and and spicy uh, in the same thing. Um, uh, But uh, right now, the what's interesting side effect of the COVID crisis in California is that they changed um, they changed the rules when it comes to beer. And now you can get beer delivered to you from a brewery. Um, and, and so breweries can do, ship direct. So I just got a full box of Pliny for president. Uh, Pliny, Pliny the Elder is a, is a famous um, Russian River uh, India Pale Ale that's just, uh, it's very piney um, and dank. But Pliny for president, I think, um, ha- they double dry hopped it and gave it a little bit more aroma and just put a different new spin on it. Uh, and it's in cans. And so it's much more... Uh, on on trend uh but uh i've got a fridge full of it i got a i got a nice sunny weekend coming i hope the uh the fires we have some fires out here i hope the fires uh calm down so i can go outside and and uh breathe without worrying for my health yeah no kidding uh, man i'm glad i'm glad you're doing well i'm glad you're safe i'm glad you were able to join us so again you know do you have anything as far as work coming out or anything i know you i know you release stuff pretty frequently uh, yeah, I've got, I'm working on a thing about the tops, um, the tops art cards. You might've seen those. Oh yeah. Um, there's, there's a, there's a, some fun stuff going on in there. I'm also working on something, um, about the Cardinals and, um, a possible sort of team wide problem with breaking balls. Hopefully nobody takes that and steals it. Uh, but, uh, working with Mark Saxon. So we'll, even if somebody does it, we're, we're going to have, we're going to come with the quotes and come with the data and, and do a big piece on that because nobody sees fewer fastballs, uh, generally than the, than the Cardinals and Dylan Carlson got the same treatment, um, where he saw no fastballs for the first couple of weeks. And so, uh, I think he'll adjust. I believe in Dylan Carlson I don't know if it's going to happen this year or next year, 
uh, see, you see, I always trend a little keeper dynasty, you know? No, so, and that's fine. Yeah. That, that brings a different twist to things. Cause I'm definitely get, we, getting Dylan Carlson and yeah. keeper leagues. Yeah. <laughs> Cause people, I mean, I think a lot of people are skeptical on him too, because he came out of nowhere last year and a lot of, in a lot of people's minds. Yeah. So no, I think in the keeper league, the fact that Joe Adele and Dylan Carlson had bad starts, uh, is a, is, is a good thing. It's a, it's a time to acquire. Um, I, I, I think Adele's strikeout rate will calm down too. Yeah, and I remember hearing on your Race and Barrels podcast that you have a team with both of them on there, that like a yeah. redraft team though. <laughs> that was uh, that was a bit of a gamble, and I, yeah. I don't think I don't think it's working. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a slow start ish or middle. Uh, I used like eighty percent of my fab to get both of them. So whoops. Well, I mean, it could pay Come off, on, guys. Yeah, yeah, it could pay off. I mean, I'm trying to be nice. I don't know what to expect to be honest, because rookie blues happen, and in the shortened season, it's heightened, but. <sighs> As always, again, appreciate you joining us. You know, you can follow you know on Twitter at Eno Saris. It's very simple. Um, oh, and of course, check out the athletic, check out rates and barrels. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Mike. Um, I'm Mike, obviously. I can't even say my name. Mike underscore Curland. Chris is at Roto Clegg. We appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>